How many of you know the Super Bowl is tomorrow night? Today. Next week? All right, so I got to confess, I was about to make fun of y'all for us being such a non-sportsy church. And yeah, I didn't know what it was. I don't care anymore. Yeah, that's their goal too, to have fun. <laughs> hey, we are in uh, week three of this series called Galatians. We're looking at the book of Galatians, transformed by the gospel of freedom. And today I want to talk about the untold truth, the untold truth about God's grace. And I, I really feel like I'm setting myself up here. I, I'm saying I'm going to share something with you, not something that you've not heard, something that you've not thought about. So maybe I'm setting myself up. I hope no one, as they're leaving, looks at me and says, I already knew that. So uh, that is my goal. Let me pray for you guys. God, we thank you that there is a throne and that you sit on it and that it is not a throne of judgment for us who have come to believe, but a throne of grace, that we could find grace and mercy in time of need, and today is a time of need. Like every other day, we turn to you And even as we hear baby Giovanni's cry in the background, we remember that you have caused new birth and that we are sons and daughters that are rejoiced over. That as we stumble forward, just like a, a parent when they watch their child take those first steps of faith, that you are a heavenly father that delights in the steps of his children and we're so blessed by that. Thank you so much for being who you are. We revel in your grace and want to walk by faith here today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, today we're going to talk about Paul's conversion. Saul of Tarsus, his conversion to Paul, who became the apostle that wrote most of the New Testament. Some of you are familiar with this story. Some of you are not. There are some huge takeaways for everyone in this room and I hope to make that abundantly clear. So, in case you have not heard, Saul of Tarsus was the enemy of Christianity. In the world at that time, there were two main people groups, Jew and Gentile. Saul was a Jew. And he believed that God only loved the Jews. And he was not just a Jew, but a certain type of Jew, a Pharisee, and not just a Pharisee, but a Pharisee of Pharisees, as he would put it. He was all in. And when Christianity was born, and the church rapidly grew to 10,000 people, Saul looked at this movement this group of people that were passionate to tell others about Jesus, and Saul of Tarsus said, Jesus is a false Messiah. And he began to persecute the church, starting with the first martyr, the first man put to death in Jesus' name, Stephen. The people that killed him put their robes at the feet of Saul of Tarsus, indicating that he was the mastermind behind that murderous plot. 
And Saul began to go all throughout Israel, finding Christians in their homes, having them arrested, both man and woman, and put on trial for their lives. They would be brought before a synagogue, and the synagogue would question their faith in Jesus, and it had already been decided in Jesus' time that whoever believed he was the Messiah would be cast out of the synagogue and cut off. Some of these people that were put on trial for their lives were then sentenced to death, and Saul would later say that he cast his vote in favor of their death. And yet something strange happened. Saul was on the road to a city named Damascus to arrest a bunch of Christians when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to him and and he was converted. So I, I just want to share that with you to help us to kind of contextualize his testimony, his story. It is a complete reversal. He was like the least likely person to convert to Jesus. He was the enemy of Christianity, and that's really startling. So to show you this image, you guys know who this man was, Hugh Hefner. So this would be like Hugh Hefner converting. It would be like Hugh Hefner saying this, pornography is wrong. It is unhealthy. Please don't view porn. It'd be like, what are you talking about? You've spent your entire life promoting that. Or Greta Thunberg, I think that's how you pronounce your last name. What is it? Thornburg? And it would be like her making an announcement that global warming isn't real. It's, it's all a big hoax. It'd be like she has invested her heart and her energy and her passion into this. Or Kanye West. Love him. So Kanye West, just a short time ago, was mentally unstable, at least, and yet today he has said this. Let's not be concerned with the opinions of men at all, only the opinion of God. Let's not be concerned with the validation of men at all, only of God. Kanye is really uh, a modern-day Paul in the sense of the degree of radical transformation where people are taking notice and saying, what has gone on with you? So I want to just share with you a little video about Kanye West. One more thing before I get out of here. What about when I say I'm giving my life to Christ and then be Christians like, nah. Ain't that what we want? (laughs) The devil brought me to the lowest place in my life, the lowest year of my life. And I said this year, I wasn't going to go one Sunday without starting a church. And that's what we did. We started Sunday service. And people came together and the choir got bigger and bigger and bigger. And people started feeling what it is. And about four months in, I got delivered. 
don't always go to church the first day delivered. People be in different spaces and places and they walk. And that's something I had to learn when I was delivered because I was one of them type of Christians. You doing it, you doing that, I'll see everything that's wrong. Just lay back. God has already won the victory. Jesus Christ has won the victory. That's why when I rap, I say he will free our people. God has freed people throughout history. And Harriet Tubman says she could have freed more if we only knew we were slaves to Instagram, to social media, to, oh, I'm about to pull up with the drink on. He man disrespected me. Ah! <laughs> Harriet Tubman said she could free more if we only knew we were slaves. He walked with my mother. He walked with me. some people may be skeptical of the changes going on in Kanye's West. Um, I'm not here to debate that. I just want to say God is always moving in greater ways than we're aware of. And there's something beautiful that has changed about him. In fact, I watched an interview. I need to share one more video very, very briefly with you because I saw him on Jimmy Kimmel. And I saw the way he responded to Jimmy Kimmel's questions, and I wanted to share that with you as well. What family is about, and I feel that God is using me and using the choir and using my family to show off because it's like all these things. How many things in your life where it's like this isn't in service for God, but it seems like you're going to get more out of it. This is where you're going to get the better job, better cars, all this. But we're in complete service to God and you the feel business born is again? thriving. The, that, Do you feel uh, born again, Kanye? Uh, you feel uh, like, yeah. would you consider yourself to be a Christian music artist now? I'm just a Christian everything. Uh-huh. Everything. everything. Yeah. And you've done, it's interesting you said that about your daughter, because I think you've made, with your services, made church fun to go to for a lot of people. Uh, people are saying, like, oh, gosh, I want to go to church. And you never hear anyone say that, really. I mean, <laughs> certainly not young people. And you're doing this they thing do here where you're bringing H2O, people right? together. And, you know, that's, that's pretty that's good, good, I enough. think. I thought that was awesome. Are you a born-again, what did you say, born-again artist? Christian artist. Like, no, I'm just a Christian so God has shown me this many, many times in my faith journey where I would know someone, I would think they're the furthest person I know of, they're the furthest away from Christ, and, and then God moves in their lives. The, the whole thing that we're going to look at here with Paul is that God is without boundaries. 
But it's easy for us to read about Paul and miss the main point. So let us look together at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and power and wisdom as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, God found the worst guy he could possibly find and made him the greatest saint he could possibly find so that every Christian from that point on would draw a conclusion. And here's where I think we draw the wrong conclusion. It's easy for people to say, yay, Paul, you're awesome. It's just awesome what God did with you. And do you see that that's not what Paul is saying? Paul is saying that God can do, that God worked in his life so that God can work in our life. And just in case we don't catch that, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. God is able to make what grace? All grace abound. To whom? To you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So as we look at this story of the Apostle Paul, the conclusion is not to lift him up and make him a superhuman, but to draw conclusions about God's availability in our lives here today. We're looking at the expert on grace. We're going to talk about how do we experience this for ourselves. Now, you guys know I love fly fishing. I don't know if I've shared this with you. I love fly fishing. And I'm not very good at it yet. I've been a few times. The first time I went, I was with a buddy in the Colorado Rocky Mountains. And we went out to this river. And then he realized he had forgotten his license. So he said, I got to leave and just leave you alone. So there I am, fly fishing for the first time. Caught a rainbow trout. It was one of the greatest experiences. But I don't know what I'm doing at all. And there's a real art to it, being able to cast in such a way that the fly actually lands on the river before the line. So if someone came here and said, I am an expert fly fisherman, I'd be like, oh, please, teach me. And what we have as we look at Paul is we have someone who's going to look at us and say, I'm going to explain to you how to get God's grace and for your life to be transformed as a result. All right, Galatians chapter 1. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. As we think about the cross, we must regard it as being absolutely unique, completely different than every religious system. As you think about the cross, Moses gave the Ten Commandments. Buddha gave the Eightfold Path. Islam gave the five pillars of Islam. And God gave himself for our sins. 
When we think about works, every religious system says you must do these works to be right with God. And Christianity says the work is finished. As we think about atonement, atonement is a process. Jesus says the atonement has happened. It's the exact opposite of what the rest of the world thinks. So a priest and a monk and a religious cleric walk into a bar. This is actually not a joke. I know that you guys were about to just laugh a lot. So um, they walk into a bar and they are discussing what must we do to be right with God. And, and they're discoursing over which way to pray, which direction, what works must we be involved in. And then it's as if some drunk guy staggers up and he says, what if we don't do anything? What if instead of us doing anything, what if, what if God does everything? What if instead of us trying to reach up, what if God like left heaven and came down for us? What if instead of us measuring up, he just gives us forgiveness and eternal life and the Holy Spirit as a gift? And then he staggers away. If you think about it, isn't the gospel, when you think about the gospel, doesn't it sound like some drunk guy in a bar? If not, you don't understand it yet. It's ridiculous what God has done for us. And Paul is here saying, the gospel that I preach is, is not like the rest of the world. It was not delivered to me by man. Verse 12. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ, that Jesus personally revealed himself to Paul. Verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Verse 14. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my, my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. What Judaism did was it added layer upon layer upon layer to the scripture such that when Jesus came to earth, he found himself going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees who were completely blind to God. And when Paul says that he was extremely zealous, let's see how the book of Acts describes him. He was ravaging the church. He was breathing threats and murder. Just think about that. Someone that, as they're even talking and breathing in and out, is anger and threats and murder. And he, described, he was described as being in a, raging, in a raging fury. That's Paul's description of himself, actually, in Acts 26. So then Jesus revealed himself to Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus. He was on a horse, and a voice came out of heaven. A blinding light knocked him to the ground, and he couldn't see for three days. And so the meek and mild and gentle and nice Jesus that we serve, and that many people in our world look at him that way, this very nice and gentle Jesus was very dangerous in that moment because he blinded Saul for three days. 
because he wanted to give Saul the object lesson. You have had your eyes closed to me. The truth has been right before your eyes. You've been blind. And he wanted to give Saul the object lesson of how to look at the world and to understand our friends who are outside of Christ cannot see they are blind. And you think about Saul's conversion. You know, I, I know in our unbelieving world today, many people are searching for what is the evidence, what are the reasons to believe, and you got to put the conversion of Saul right up near the top. You know, for me, it's number one, the claims of Jesus. Jesus' claims make him either a liar or a lunatic or he's the Lord. Those are the only logical choices that flow from his claims. You think of the prophecies that predicted the death and the resurrection of the Messiah. You read Isaiah 53 and you see this visibly portrayed 700 years before Jesus came to earth. That is such stark, hardcore evidence for me. Think of the eyewitness testimony and the willingness of these people to go to their death. Sometimes people say, well, there are terrorists that are willing to go to their death, but that's a whole different argument. The eyewitnesses went to their death saying, I saw this with my own eyes. This isn't what I believe, this is what I Saul. But you got to put the conversion of salt right up there. It's remarkable. The main opponent of Christianity becoming the most ardent follower. Verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, let's look at those words again. He who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Now, I want to explain some theology to us. I think this is extremely important that we understand the difference between common grace and saving grace. Common grace is this, the undeserved favor that God extends to everyone. When the scripture says God loves this whole world, that means every good gift in life, every good thing about life, if you have a healthy, loving family, thank God for that. If you are, are married, that is a gift from God, the scripture says. If you have children, those are gifts to you. If you have friends, those are gifts to you. Every good gift comes down from above. The way Jesus put it is God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the wicked. That's God's common grace. He gives it to everyone. But saving grace is not given to everyone. Saving grace is the undeserved favor that God extends to those he saves. And this is a game changer for me as I think about who I am. Because God gave me and has given most of you in this room a grace that he does not give to everybody. And he gave that grace for a specific purpose. He gave it to you for a reason. It is because he loves you, but beyond that, because he wants to use you. Because he wants to work through you. 
So let, look again at verse 15. When he who had set me apart before I was born, before February 27, 1963, long time ago, in Melbourne, Florida, did you know that? Where I was born. Before that day, God had chosen me and written my name in the book of life. God had a purpose for me and for you before that day. And when we think about being called, maybe you think, gosh, I don't have Saul's story. I didn't hear this voice come out of heaven. No matter how mundane it was when a pastor or a friend explained the good news of Jesus to you, that was God calling you and saying, I have something special I want to do with your life. If I could use a big word, if I could drop a big word on you here, is Paul thought eschatologically. In other words, he understood his salvation in the big picture. And I just want to, I want to preach at you guys really hard here. We, it is so common, we dummy down our salvation so much we say, oh, I accepted Jesus. And we dummy down God calling us and setting us apart to what, what we did. And I want you to understand when we read through the New Testament, verse after verse is these huge images that are supposed to provoke our mind to think deeply about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So when we say that we were once slaves, but now we're free, do you realize that the New Testament is taking us back to the Exodus story, the story of slavery, and saying our slavery to sin was like that. We had a pharaoh. We did not have control. And yet the gospel came and it set us free. Paul, when he's talking about who we are, he says we were dead. We were the walking dead. We were corpses. We were spiritually dead, and yet God made us alive. We are revivified corpses walking around on the earth. We were spiritually blind. We could not see. Paul talks about us before we know Christ as being under Satan's spell. In Ephesians 2, talk about eschatological. It's like we have awakened from a witch's curse to a new life, to a new kingdom, to a new calling, to a new freedom, to a new purpose. All of this God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And Paul, as he talks to us about his story he wants us to realize what God has done for us and what God's great calling on us is. That's why when we read through the New Testament, Paul describes the Christian journey as an Olympic athlete. Did you realize that? We are Olympic athletes in the great race of life. We're ambassadors for Christ. It's like God has sent us on this mission to rep him everywhere we go. All of this to get us to stop playing small. 
all of this to stop thinking so smallly. Is smallly a word? Today it's a word. I'll use literally. <laughs> About what Christ has done for us. Okay? Look at verse 17. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. These are called the hidden years by theologians. Verse 18, because we don't know much of what Paul was doing. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. Verse 19, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. We could talk about that for a while. I think I already mentioned that when Jesus' physical brother, James, becomes convinced after not believing that Jesus really was the Son of God. That's a remarkable story. Verse 20, in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Verse 23, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to, to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. And he's not boasting. He's saying, God has done this amazing thing in my life. Do, do we all hear what I'm saying here? If you're a Christian, you've been set apart, you've been called, all the grace in the world is available to you, and Paul, through his testimony, is trying to awaken us to that. Now let's get to the untold truth part. The part where I set myself up and I said, I, I want to share something with us that I think is really important for us to get. I think it's really easy to miss the entire point of Paul's testimony. When we read in 1 Timothy about him being the worst sinner, it's easy to make Paul our hero and to set him up as some kind of a superhuman. And when we do that, what we're really doing is we're not letting him be our example. When Paul says that God is able to make all grace abound to you, many Christians think deeply about theology at that point instead of realizing what that means for their lives. The Scripture is the Word of God. Do we agree on that? It is also the word of man. Do we agree on that? A human being who used his personality, his charisma, his energy, his insight, his intellect as he wrote what we call the Bible. When we read the Bible as if it is only the Word of God. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Please don't make me disclaim this many times. When we read it as if it's only the Word of God, we fail to see the intensity of real life struggle and depression and battle against lust or whatever your thing is, or envy or insecurity 
and we look at Paul as some superhuman, and we fail to see the real-life battle that we are in, and we thereby miss the grace of God that Paul is trying to get, get us to get. So, because we're in church and we have to be honest here, how many of us here struggle with guilt, feelings over bad things we've done? Okay? Look around at all the sinners in this room. How many of us struggle with shame, which is bad feelings about who we are? How many of us struggle with regret? Man, I can get caught in that trap so easy. Keep your hands up. How many of you sometimes feel like your thoughts just carry you away? Yeah, that's me. How many of you have had your hands up for every single one like me? Yes. So listen, life is not a playground. It is a battleground. And when we read Paul as a real human being and we read scripture as not just the word of God, but the word of man, then we can take Paul seriously in Romans 7 when he said, I'm doing things I don't want to do, and I'm not doing things I ought to do, and that's a human condition. The real battle against our flesh. And we can read 2 Corinthians 10 when Paul says, take every thought captive. Why would he write that way? Because he knew my mind can carry me away. We can read Philippians 3 and see where Paul says, one thing I do, I forget the past and I press on toward the future and realize this is a man that's battled against regret. When we read Galatians 2.20, and he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. We can see someone that's battled against shame and regret and come to a new identity. Christ lives in in me. I am not interested in us unpacking the book of Galatians and simply understanding what we call scripture as the word of God. I want us to understand scripture as the word of God and the word of man that affects our identity, that we would look at Paul and say, teach me how to live. I'm in a great battle. I don't know about you guys. I'm in a great battle. I'm in a battle with all of the, the things that we just talked about. The untold truth, and this is where I think we're deceived, we think that grace is this magical power that comes upon us where we don't have to fight. And we do. We have to fight and we have to work. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 15.10 and see what Paul had to say about grace. But by the grace of God I am what I am. At the end of our lives, whether short or long, we would look back and all the victories we've attained, we will recognize that it was God's grace that did that. And yet, notice what he says next, and his grace toward me was not in vain. In other words, God's grace can be in vain. The death and the resurrection of Jesus can call, fall flat. In, in connection to, your, to our lives, to our, our minds and our identity and our struggles. 
It can be in vain. We can miss it. We can fall short. On the contrary, I what? What, what word? I what? Worked. I worked harder than any of them. He's referring to the other apostles. And he's saying, I took the grace of God and I worked it into my mind. I worked it into my identity. I worked it into my regret. I worked it into my battle against sin. Grace made me work. Grace is not all about love and acceptance. Grace is about God's love and acceptance beginning to flow through our thoughts and our heart attitude and our actions. Grace is meant to do something powerful in us. I had a buddy of mine that uh, has led a flourishing church in Minnesota, of all the places for a person to live, Minnesota. And he's a dynamic speaker, and I talked with him one-on-one, and he said, John, I want to tell you what I needed to do. I battled so much against shame and so much against guilt and so much with looking at Christianity as a performance. And I felt that God was a very distant father, detached from me. And my feelings were so strong. There was wall upon wall upon wall upon wall. And I took Paul's writing and I went over it and over it and over it and over it, day after day after day after day. And in time, the Holy Spirit began to change the way I felt and change the way I thought and change what I did. And I worked at it. That was really helpful for me to hear. That doesn't discourage me, and I hope it doesn't discourage you. It empowers us to know that in the real battle of life, God can change our lives. Today, things that I struggle with, I can change in those. You can change in those if we can let God's grace into those spaces in our hearts. This week, Galatians 6, 9 came to my mind. I was in the doldrums. This had been a hard week. My wife's mom is likely dying this week. It's been a very hard, difficult week. Jana had been gone visiting her mom, came back, went right back. Her mom now because she's in so much pain, just wants to die. It's a very tough spot for all of us. And I think about us as a church and what we're trying to do and the opportunities that are coming to us that we'll talk about eventually. And sometimes it's just hard. And what Paul wrote came to my mind, and I want to read it to you. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Let us not grow weary. Why did he say that? Because it's hard. Because he knew what it was like to grow weary. He said, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due time we shall reap a harvest if we do not grow weary. And there as I meditated on what Paul, this human being, wrote in a letter, the Holy Spirit took those words and began to operate on one of my walls 
and began to tear that wall down. As we move into worship, worship to me is a space in which sometimes I'm not, no longer just singing. Sometimes there is this connection. It's as if God is speaking to me and holding on a conversation. And there is a dialogue and an invitation. I don't know what words will come to you as we worship here. The words that come to me are often this. Trust me. Surrender. Give me thanks. Let go. I've got this. I'm bigger. I love you. I'm present. I'm here in your life. I'm carrying out a big purpose. You're not alone. The gospel is true. The Holy Spirit is present. Trust me. Surrender. Let the walls fall down. Would you stand with us as we worship? God, as our praise goes up to you, I ask through the power of the Holy Spirit, may the walls in our lives begin to fall down. Walls of despair, walls of loneliness, walls of regret and guilt and shame and all that holds us back. May our thoughts be taken captive by the God that is present. May you give us hope. May you fill us with joy and peace in believing through the power of the Holy Spirit that we would abound in hope this morning because the gospel is true. We come now into your presence to worship you in the great name of Jesus.